Welcome to the Book Fair, Children's Literature for Grown-Ups. I am your host, Anthony, and this is a very special episode of the podcast. I am here with a writer, uh, Alicia Kemp. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's um, great to great to join this podcast and have a chat with you about my book. Yes. Um, so Alicia Kemp, you are Alicia. Sorry, I should just stick to first name basis here. Uh, Alicia, you are an independent author. Is that an accurate way of describing it? Yeah, that's right. So I publish my books independently without going through a separate publishing house. Um, and that was kind of a, a scary decision to make because there is a lot more risk doing it on your own. But I mean, as the name suggests, you do get a lot more freedom too. So um, for me, not to be restricted by external deadlines was really important. And also to have kind of complete creative control over my story and my characters was um, something that really mattered to me as well. Yes. And your book series is the Tobias Finch series. I have here the first one, Latent Wolf. I have the second book sitting in my other room. And of course, I've read the third book because I narrated the audiobooks for those. And you did an amazing job. It sounds so good. Thank you. Thank you very much for that opportunity. So, you know, uh, this is not my first time, you know, getting to know your works, of course. Uh, it was when I first started off. Uh, being an independent author, do you feel that that awards you any specific kind of freedoms? You talked about how you do have freedom of not having a deadline. Do you think there's any specific other freedoms that that gives you? Definitely the freedom to create the story and the characters that I want without having to worry about some sort of publishing company saying, actually, we don't want that. Um, you know, it's it gives you the ability to be less mainstream and address things that are maybe a little bit edgier even for a young audience. So, um, you know, the you will have seen in the first book, especially, you know, it's the theme of the importance of being yourself and how, you know, Tobias is acceptance of himself is really what empowers him. Um, and I think a lot of those themes maybe would be harder to um, address in the way that I did if I was going through a publishing company. Right. The the struggling that Tobias has between being a shifter and trying to hide as a human and hiding who he is in his past, that kind of reflects a lot of gender identity, which is something that you feel maybe publishers would try and tamp down a little bit. I think so. I think so. That was definitely one of my concerns. And you will have seen like LGBTQ plus's representation is throughout the book. And that was really important to me as well. Um, and I didn't want to face any restrictions on that. Definitely, definitely. The LGBTQ representation throughout the series, it is, it's great. I always talk about on this podcast that representation for my, for different minority groups and oppressed groups, it is a hundred percent free. You don't have to, you don't have to like try and force it in. It doesn't have to be like a token thing. Just making a character that exists and is a part of a marginalized group is absolutely something that any author can and should be doing, and I really appreciate your books doing that. Do you feel that there are any limitations that being self-published has has uh, has brought forth so far? I mean, the main thing is reaching audiences. So there are some bookstores that will not buy from self-published authors until you kind of reach a certain level. Um, but th that that's changing more and more. So like Barnes & Noble didn't used to buy indie authors now they do um and they're 
they're being a lot, they've become a lot more accepting of indie authors. So it is changing. I think, you know, it's all part of that, like digital, dis- digital disruption sort of landscape where, um, you know, the whole, the whole industry is changing just like with music and film and other areas. So there are definitely hurdles as far as marketing goes, but um, those hurdles are becoming less significant. That's yeah, that's exactly what I was uh, thinking. You have things like TikTok where an independent author can really take off and places like Barnes and Noble can't really ignore that anymore. There's probably some probably some big stores that are carrying books that publishers wouldn't have touched a year ago because they've taken off on social media. Yeah, exactly. And I'm quite lucky here in New Zealand. It's a small country where I've been able to get into the bookstores here pretty easily. So most of the main um, bookstore chains sell my books. It's up there at the libraries and the school libraries and stuff. And I think that has been a bit easier than, say, if I was based in a in the States or um, somewhere else. So that's that's been really positive. Yes, definitely. And Public libraries are definitely an awesome resource. I've thought about, I've considered um, buying some copies to donate to the local library over here. Uh, Just something that I was waiting on, you know, waiting for. (laughs) I was so busy with recording the third audiobook. uh, And then a lot of personal stuff in my life kind of came up. But um, it's definitely something that I would want to look into doing. I want to make sure I do it properly, not just show up with a a bunch of books and say, here, take these. I want to make sure I do it right. Oh, that's really, yeah, thank you. So Leighton Wolf is the first of the series. Uh, Did you have everything outlined going into the first book? Was there anything that kind of wavered or changed as you were writing out the story? Yeah, this was my, this was my first um, story and my first kind of trilogy that I'd written. And I had a rough outline for how I wanted the whole thing to go but it wasn't that detailed of an outline and things did change, especially in the third book. So it was a a healthy mix of um, planning and kind of just going by the, um, where the story, where the story wanted to go as well, Um, which had its, had its benefits and its downsides. I think I learned a lot from that process and I think it, um, has made me for my next series that I'm working on made me a much more meticulous planner. Um, because sometimes you'll write something and then you end up having to go back and do a lot of continuity control when you don't have a structured outline that's, that's very detailed. So that was definitely a learning experience for me. Right. Right. I know that stream of consciousness writing is very, very good for, uh, creating an outline, uh, but I know that for something like a whole book or a whole trilogy of books could probably be a little more challenging to keep a stream of uh, consciousness writing style throughout the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh- um, so one thing that I wanted to ask about um, is that shifter novels, they're kind of a very niche category, uh, something that I really didn't have a lot of knowledge going into, but having read through the Tobias Fence series and gone into other uh, novels in the in the subgenre. I've noticed there's a lot of established tropes uh, throughout throughout different shifter novels. Uh, and how has Tobias Finch deviated from these established tropes, or maybe expanded on them in other places? 
Yeah, so it's actually what inspired me to write these books in the first place, because I'd read quite a few shifter books. And one of the, I mean, there's, like you said, there's the mates trope, which is quite common, the faded mates trope. Um, There's also frequently, like, the whole concept of an alpha male and what an alpha male is supposed to be, which I often, I, I often felt those sorts of characters lent towards the toxic masculinity side of things, which I didn't really like. Um, and then another frequent trope I saw was latency. And usually it was a female person um, who only became, was able to become a wolf through some sort of, Uh, romantic connection with their fated mate usually in the story and those all make for interesting reads but I didn't I I wanted to do something different Um, I wanted to have a male character who was an alpha who had those same weaknesses the latency weakness and his way of overcoming that wasn't um, wasn't by falling in love but was by accepting who he was as a person, accepting his weaknesses and his strengths. And then as you go on through the series, um, you know, it's, it's less about him saving the pack and more about the pack saving him. Um, and, you know, his, you know, there's that phrase that I use, which is an alpha is only as strong as his pack. Um, and that was a really important theme to me as well, where it's, it's, your strength comes from the people around you and also his strength came from empowering the people around him as well. I love that. I really loved that reading that because I definitely saw those toxic traits of all those tropes in the first book that were set up and then completely subverted only to be thoroughly shattered by the second and third books. Everything about those tropes from toxic masculinity, alpha and alpha male culture, all of that being very thoroughly ripped apart to create a story that takes those ideas and those tropes and shows what's wrong with them while creating their own, its own set of rules within the series. And I really loved that. Thank you. Especially the latency, uh, when I've seen it, yes, it has been primarily women. And it is usually shown as the weakness of the, it's like the, it's like the woman is weaker and it's that sort of thing. I'm trying to formulate a thought here. I'm sorry. Um, what other weaknesses did you try to instill within the main character, Tobias Finch, to subvert those uh, those ideas? You talked a lot about embracing who he was. Uh, were there any other sort of parasocial relationships between pack members that you examined in trying to pick apart those tropes of uh, alpha male and pack relations? Yeah, so there was, um, I guess, the Cody's character was really important for that, actually, because Cody is your typical alpha male. And, you know, he's like the golden boy. He's on the football team. Um, he's been in line to become the next alpha of his pack. And he he starts off with this kind of um, almost innocent arrogance, if that makes sense. Like, it's it's very, he's very well-intentioned and he's very sweet, but he also has the sense of entitlement, like the world should be handed to him and it's not. And all his expectations get kind of ripped apart, but he grows from it and he changes and he ends up 
having that lovely character redemption arc and coming in to kind of save the day. Um, but not saving the day in like your typical alpha male way, but saving the day by helping others and serving others. Right. Um, yeah. So I guess that was, that was one area where I tried to, I tried to do that. Um, one of my favorite characters in the series is actually Jameson, uh, Tobias's great uncle. I felt that that was a very tragic, uh, story from start to finish, you know, not to give any, uh, spoilers there, but I, I feel like his character in its roots had a very tragic beginning. Um, could you tell us a little bit about Jameson and how that fits into what Tobias came to learn about shifters? Yeah, Jameson is is kind of the um, example in the story of how shifter culture can be incredibly harmful to people um, or to shifters in this case. And I guess it's, I, I kind of intended it as a harsh reflection of how society can harm people um, and I didn't sugarcoat anything, unfortunately, as you know. And a lot of people were really upset with with the Jameson um, Jameson story right. because it is, he, he starts off um, and his life is rough from the very start, and it's it's not a pretty story. Um, but I think the 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 benefit of that in the story is that it inspires others to make changes and do the right things. Yes. Um, I'm starting to think about, as I'm reflecting on all these characters, uh, having now finished the series, um, I think a good, uh, I think a benchmark for a good world building is everyone's favorite characters are always anyone but the main character. Uh, I think, I, I think if I were to list my top three favorite, it would be Jameson, uh, Summer and Jason. Yes. Summer, uh, Summer was very important to uh, dismantling the patriarchy of the shifter culture, uh, kind of being the extreme, uh, almost radical feminist in the group. Uh, but I really loved her 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 character arc, where it shows that she also kind of is a part of that culture, whether or not she likes it or not. You know. Yeah, I loved Summer as well. She was such a fun character to write and I loved writing her dialogue and um yeah, that was that was really fun. And yeah, Jason Jason was one of my favorites as well. Um and you know, as we see, he's an incredibly important character especially in the last book. Um Yeah, it's funny the main characters a lot of people hated Lucy. They did not <laughs> like Lucy, especially in the first book. Um and I kind of love that because I based a lot of her flaws on my own flaws and I was like, Oh, you don't like Lucy. That's interesting. <laughs> yes. That's definitely, you know, you could say that, but also it is a, uh, hate, uh, an enemies to lovers trope. So what better way to make it clear that this person is, these people are enemies by making the audience not like the character. We can pretend that was intentional. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That was, that was what I was going for. <laughs> Uh, even that trope, the enemies to lovers trope, it wasn't something that was completed in the first book, which I really appreciated. A lot of, a lot of novels will take that trope and within a hundred pages, will have them completely attached to each other. Uh, the relationship between Tobias and Lucy, it felt more org- organic because they had so much time between meeting and then falling in love. Yeah, and that was something that was important to me. I always really like, I guess, slow burn romance rather than like 
the whole we're instantly in love for no reason at all sort of romance it just doesn't I don't know it just doesn't work for me um so I, I wanted the relationship to build slowly and it's almost I mean it is enemies to lovers but it's enemies to kind of reluctant allies and then sort of friends and then from that the romance um develops so even even that plays on the trope of faded mates which is something that i as a person will look at and think that's kind of romantic the idea that there is someone out there who is fated to you that you will fall in love with and that will be your fated uh partner for life and tobias finch and lucy uh lucy stone they also have their own ways of subverting that by primarily not even realizing it at first yeah yeah exactly and then once they do um, it still takes a while before before they're able to figure out how to make a relationship happen. So uh, earlier, I had asked about um, outline and how much was planned. Did you plan for Jason to be such a major character in the third book when you started off the series? I think not in the first book, but definitely by the time I started writing the second book, I knew I wanted his character to be an important player in the third book because I really grew to like him in the first book and I wanted to see more of him and, um, you know, to see how he was able to really influence the story. Another thing that I loved about it was um, to not, you know, to be a little brutally honest here, Shifters is not something that I personally would have looked into. You know, I grew up, uh, I went to high school when Twilight was really big and I was always that kind of person who's like, it's popular, so I don't want anything to do with it. And I, I, I've grown out of that phase, uh, but still it's not a genre that I saw myself enjoying. One thing that I really thought you did incredibly well was leaving the audience wanting more, leaving the reader wanting more specifically in the first book with dragon shifters, uh, where you introduce someone as a dragon shifter, but they never shifted. Um, how many of those little things were you trying to pepper in as, uh, as as hooks to try and get people to come back? I did, yeah. I try to be really conscious in my writing to put in lots of breadcrumbs, um, I guess is what the, is, is the term, throughout the, throughout the story so that when things happen later, first of all, it's not a surprise, but also so that I guess it makes the story a little bit more... Um, it gives it more depth because in life you don't know everything that's going on. You don't get to see everything. Sometimes you only see little snippets and pieces and you don't really understand their relevance or significance until later on. And so I try to reflect that in my yeah. writing. That was another thing that I liked about uh, Tobias Finch is that he has no idea what's going on because he was raised in the dark. So yeah. you're able to read it as a, you're able to approach it as a reader, as someone who is learning just as much as he is you're not reading about how everyone knows these things like you're supposed to know it going into it. And I really liked that. Were there any, uh, were there any specific books shifter or otherwise that inspired Tobias Finch? Um, let's see. I read a lot of Suzanne Wright's books um, and those inspired the book in the sense that they often, as much as I enjoy them, they often show like, toxic masculinity, faded mates. And it was kind of the opposite of what I wanted to show in my book. So in that sense, that was inspirational. Um, but not, 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 not to say. <laughs> I do, you know, it has a place and it is entertaining and it's um, fun. I'm trying to think who else, who else um, 
Colette Rhodes, actually, she, she does adult romance, but she has a very, um, like a feminist edge to a lot of her writing. And I really liked that. Um, so that was quite inspiring, um, to see, you know, there are other writers out there taking some of those traditional tropes and twisting them a little bit or changing them a little bit. Um, so I thought, okay, it could be, it could be doable to do, um, on even a, a bigger scale. Um, are there any specific authors, maybe things that you, um, maybe, uh, things you read growing up that really drove you to wanting to tell a story, uh, in general, you know, things like that? Uh, yeah. So I was definitely a, um, book nerd as a kid and probably still am a book nerd. Um, as an adult, it's been like one of my defining, um, characteristics. I think the, uh, as a kid, the book that probably inspired me the most um, or books were the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Um, I just loved how he created this whole world that was completely, you know, unique um, and built on it in each story and had these, you know, different stories for everyone, but carries across lots of themes of like um, betrayal and redemption and um, helping others and all that. Um, yeah, he, he always fascinated me as an author. And um, then of course, Tolkien as well. And it's just so amazing that they were friends as, you know, that... <laughs> So those are probably the, like lots of authors, um, those kind of classic fantasy authors definitely inspired me. Yes. And those, those themes of redemption and uh, the relations between characters, you definitely see that prevailing throughout the Tobias Finch series. Uh, I do have a couple of specific questions. My girlfriend, Madison Rhodes is an aspiring author. Uh, the first thing she would like to know is what made you want to be an author? Um, just how much I love reading and getting lost in those sorts of fantasy worlds. Um, for me personally, writing is like, I feel stressed out if I don't write and I've always really enjoyed writing. It's just something that feels good to do. Um, it's, it's how I express myself and how I'm, you know, sometimes I have a hard time saying I'm feeling upset about this or whatever, but I can create like these other characters who have these issues and use that as a way to express my own feelings through like the nice, safe um, shield of fiction and um, fictional characters. So I guess that, you know, my love of books and then also my love of the writing process are both things that inspired me to become an author. Okay. And uh, do you have any advice for aspiring authors out there? Um, read as much as you can and as many different types of things as you can. So like read the classics, read um, indie authors, read, uh, read the popular stuff. Um, and don't feel like you have to finish something either. Like if you start a book and you hate it, don't finish it. But like, it's just so good to to read lots of different stuff because you learn a lot from that. You learn a lot from different people's writing styles. You learn what you like and what you don't like. Um, I probably read 200 books a year. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's healthy or not, but, <laughs> but, 
but I feel like that has been instrumental to my ability to write, um, to my technical ability. Absolutely. You, in order, like anyone who wants to do anything, absorb as much of that material as you can. And I think, uh, I think if you don't like something, don't finish reading it is probably the biggest thing that's helped me recently. I remember being a teenager and I would stop halfway through a book because I didn't like it. And I just never picked up a book again because I felt like I had to finish that one. It's okay to not finish something and then say, oh, I read that and I thought this. You don't have to finish a book to be able to say what you thought of it. Exactly. And you know what? Just because everyone else says a book is great, you might pick it up and hate it. And that's okay. (laughs) Or you might like books that no one else likes. And that's okay too. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, Is there going to be any more from these characters from the Tobias Finch series? Definitely not this year. um, But next year, I want to do a book on Summer, one of my favorites, on Jason. And um, yeah, those those are the two definites. And then also possibly on Tanya as well. So... Yes, those are those are some characters that I really enjoyed uh, throughout the narrating process. Uh, just getting to like understand them as people and seeing them grow. Uh, I know that Tanya was introduced in the second book, I believe, or was it the third? It all kind of blends in. <laughs> yeah, kind of together. She was introduced in the second book, um, and then we see more of her in the third as well. Yeah, that's always the best part is getting to see characters grow. Uh, that's probably the most satisfying thing, even more satisfying than a series being completed is just seeing them grow. You get to see a person that feels like they exist, that feels like you know them and you get to just spend more time with them. And that's always really satisfying. Yeah, it was, it was hard finishing the series because I, I kind of felt like I wasn't ready to say goodbye to Tobias or Lucy or any of the pack. So um, it'll be fun to pick it up again from some other characters perspectives. That would be absolutely spectacular to see because especially with the third book, you really feel it come into its own with the greater cast. It's no longer just about Tobias Finch. It's about his entire pack. It's about all the characters in this world. Characters like uh, Cindy Winslow, who had a single line of dialogue in the first book, turns out to be such a strong character by the third book that you want to see more of them. Yeah, definitely. Um And I guess that's the nice thing about doing a series, too, is you can do that because you have time to introduce characters and then build up their involvement later on. Whereas if you're just writing, you know, a standalone book, it can be a bit rushed to kind of um, do that and, you know, bring in so many different characters. And you did say uh, possibly next year. Anything this year? What is next from Alicia Kemp? So next is a book called Drown the Sea, which is going to be the first in a series called the Dying God series. It's an adult series, so not for kids, Um, but it is a historical fiction um, series with definite elements of paranormal, so like involvement of the gods and stuff. Um, But it's based in the Bronze Age Mediterranean, and it's one that I've been wanting to do for years and researching for years Um, And now I finally feel like as a writer, I've got the ability to um, get that story out there. So it's it's pretty exciting. I am definitely excited. I can't wait to read it myself. Uh, I thank you so much for your time, Alicia. This has been wonderful Uh, to the listeners out there. I do thank you for your time. I hope you check out the Tobias Finch series. And if you're of the demographic, maybe check out Drown the Sea once that comes out. 
Thank you so much for checking out The Book Fair, Children's Literature for Grown-Ups. And we'll talk at you next time. Thank you. Bye.